Thank you, Elise. And we all imagine that we can sing like that, but that uh, gives beautiful expression to what we profess here today. And Andrew thanked all of the people who helped out, but thank you, Andrew, as well, for putting that all together for us today. So we're, we're preaching through a message in Hebrews, and I know there's a lot of people here today who haven't necessarily been with us through this whole season of Lent as we've been doing these Hebrew messages. So maybe this seems odd. It's Easter Sunday, and he's reading some verses from Hebrews? How does that work? Let me catch you up just a little bit with where that's at and why that is, Okay. Hebrews, we've been looking at Hebrews because Hebrews is a letter in the New Testament written to the Jewish Christians, the people who knew their Old Testament. They knew all the laws of the Old Testament. They knew that pattern that would take place with the priests and the temple and offering sacrifices and all those Old Testament things, right? But the letter of Hebrews is written to these Christians in the New Testament talking about how now through Jesus... That Jesus has become, in effect, our priest. Now, we don't want to think of that in priest like maybe you think today, Catholic Church or Episcopal or Anglican. Not that. Priest as an Old Testament kind of priest, as we read about in Old Testament books of the Bible. It was that person that day after day would bring sacrifices into the temple and offer those sacrifices on behalf of the people. So, For those of us who have been a part of this church reading through all of the book of Hebrews over the past 40 days of Lent, we have seen chapter after chapter talking about that, that priestly activity of what those priests in the Old Testament did and how Jesus, when Jesus goes to the cross, gives himself as the one sacrifice for all time to become the priest for us. The priest, the one who intercedes on behalf of the people up to the Heavenly Father. That's the background of what's happening in Hebrews. So it's been a lot about that priestly work of atonement. But today is Easter. We're past atonement, and we're up to resurrection. What does Hebrews have to say about resurrection? Well, as it turns out, There's no specific, particular mention of resurrection until here today. Chapter 13, the very last chapter in Hebrews, is the only place where the author particularly mentions that Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, it's assumed all throughout. How else could Jesus be interceding for us before the Heavenly Father if he did not raise? But here's where the specific mention of that takes place, and what that resurrection means for us today, right? So I I know the last chapter of Hebrews is filled with a lot of different instructions, and I'm kind of picking a few verses out here and there to draw attention to resurrection and what that means, okay? Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16, and then 20 and 21 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And then to verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, 
that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Easter. Resurrection. I like how Hebrews frames resurrection for us. Because often, when we think of resurrection, often in our world and in our culture and in our time, don't we think of resurrection as as a someday thing? As a later thing? Yeah, Jesus rose from the grave and that happened, but, but we think of resurrection maybe as a fulfillment that comes to us later. Right? The, the, the recreation when all things are made new again, when Jesus comes back again, and that resurrection. Maybe we think of the salvation that is won on Easter, the salvation that is ours now. Maybe we think of that as a, but that's a someday thing, that eternal life with God forever. That's coming yet. I like how Hebrews takes resurrection and puts it right here. Right here today, now. That resurrection is not just a someday thing, but it makes a difference right now. It has immediate effect right here today. That's what the author of Hebrews is after. Let's dig into that. Let's figure out what that means, okay? I'm going to point out a couple of things that happen in this passage. Particular, if you're following notes, I'm noting two offerings and then two responses. You'll see that in your notes. Two offerings. Let's talk about those offerings, those sacrifices. Much of the book of Hebrews has been about the sin offering, okay? It's the offering that is given for atonement. It's that one that we read about in the middle of Hebrews. Remember that one day of atonement? That one day of the year when the high priest could go into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, in the middle of the temple or the tabernacle? We talked about that already. That sin offering, which was the sacrifice of atonement. That's the one that the book of Hebrews has been saying all through these chapters. Jesus has done that now. That's done. Once and for all, that offering is complete. But there were other offerings that the Old Testament people would give as well. Other offerings that the priests would bring. Something called the thank offering was also what they gave. And the priests would offer this as well. It could be some of their crops, their grain or animals or things like that. But they would bring that to the temple and the priests would offer these Thank offerings. Now, these were not offerings for atonement to cover their sin. These were offerings that simply gave gratitude. These were offerings that the people would give that would simply say, Thank you to God for forgiving us. Thank you, God, for the atonement that we have. Thank you, God, for the blessings that we enjoy. These were offerings of praise. And the Bible sometimes refers to that as a sacrifice of praise. And the words that we read in Hebrews 13 today also mention this offering, the sacrifice of praise, this thank offering that would come before God. So even though the sin offering is no longer required because Jesus has done that, what about this other one? What about the thank offering? 
What about this sacrifice of praise? Well, the author of Hebrews says, you know what, that's still a thing. We still do that. Now, we don't do that the way they did in the Old Testament. We don't bring it to priests who then offer it occasionally on our behalf because that's what would happen. Occasionally, right, on certain occasions, the priests would offer these thank offerings on behalf of the people. Now, Hebrews says, you know what, now it's not the priests who do it. We, the people, do it. And not just occasionally, but continually, continually offer a sacrifice of praise. That's resurrection effect right now, today. Continually. In fact, maybe it feels overwhelming. Continually? How am I supposed to do this? What does that look like? To continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Well, let's, let's lean into that a bit. Figure out what this looks like because the author of Hebrews lays that out for us here. A little bit, right? What these offerings look like and how that takes shape in our lives. So there's a couple of responses, a few responses that come out of this. And we see that in the passage that was read here today. The first response that comes out of it has something to do with what we say. You see that right there in verse 15 that we read? The fruit of lips that openly profess his name that we speak something of an offering of praise. Openly profess his name. I, I want to note a couple things in particular, right? Let me be picky about just two things in this. Fruit and name. I'm just going to talk about those two things that help give this some meaning for us, all right? Fruit. The Bible often talks about fruit, but the Bible talks about fruit as something which is produced, right? The, you plant your crops in a field, and it grows, and it produces fruit, and then you harvest that fruit. It, it produces that crop. So the Bible talks about that, this fruit that we get when plants grow. In fact, Jesus talks about that. I'm, I'm going to give a little hint. This is actually looking forward to next week, so I, I'm giving like the sneak peek of what's coming, because after today, I'm starting the next series on the fruit of the Spirit. So next week, we'll be looking at this passage that comes from Matthew 7, where Jesus says, by the fruit, by the fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Something about fruit in what we say, that the words that we speak bear fruit. Good fruit or bad fruit? That it takes shape that way. Maybe we can think of it this way, that when we speak thankful words of gratitude, it produces gratitude and thanksgiving in others, right? When you are the kind of person who expresses gratitude and thanksgiving to other people, that it produces gratitude and thanksgiving in them. But isn't the opposite also true? That angry words of bitterness produce bitterness and anger in others. We see that in our world too, don't we? That when there are words of violence, words of threats, words of bitterness, that spreads and it makes people bitter and angry. 
the fruit of our lips then, what we say, how it is that we communicate to other people, offers a sacrifice of praise to God when it's good fruit, when it's words that openly profess his name. Yeah, let me give a mention about that then. Name. What's the big deal about saying the name of Jesus? We read about that in the Bible every now and then, right? The, the name of Jesus. When I pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. We shouldn't forget. Let's remember that in the Bible, names have meaning, right? The, it wasn't that they named people simply because they liked the sound of the name or, you know, all their children alliterated in their names. They, they didn't think of names like that. They didn't go like that. The names all meant something. And they gave a person a name based on the meaning of that name. So when it talks about professing the name of Jesus, what we're talking about is not just professing the name itself, but the meaning of the name. That the name Jesus Christ means something. And what we profess then is we profess the meaning behind that name. The name Jesus literally means Savior. He was given that name because he is the Savior. So when we have fruit in our lips, when we profess the name of Jesus, what we are professing is that Jesus is my Savior. Or in other words, my life is secure, saved, safe because of Jesus. That when I conduct conversation with others, that they would know my safety, my security, the place where I look to be secure in life is in Jesus. The name Christ. Christ literally means anointed, the anointed one, the one given authority. When we profess the name of Christ, what we are professing there is, there is one who has authority in my life. And do the words that I say profess that authority that Jesus has in my life. So that's one of those responses that we give that offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that we profess his name, our Savior, our Lord, that others would know that through who we are and how we live. But not just what we say, but You go on to verse 16, and it talks about what we do as well. That we have a response in this sacrifice of praise that takes shape in our actions. It says, to do good and to share with others. To do good and to share with others. All right, what does that look like? How does that take shape as something that we do, to do good and share with others? as we think about that. You know, I mean, you read the Bible and you read rules and commandments all over the place, right? Well, does that mean I just have to follow all these rules? Well, let's be sure about this, that those things are there as a guide for us, but those don't earn us any points with God. We shouldn't think of that as sort of this moralistic way of living that if I follow all the right rules, then now somehow God is obligated to reward me for that or I've earned my way into God's favor for that. Now, that that takes grace completely out of the picture, right? Then the sacrifice of Jesus means nothing. If our response and actions gain us anything, but we do respond with actions in gratitude, in thanksgiving, 
as our way of saying thank you to God for what he's done for us. So what does that good look like? Well, it seems to make sense that our response of gratitude to God for what God has done for us would be a response that echoes the good that God has done for us. Let me, let me tell you what that looks like, right? So if I'm grateful to God for the forgiveness that he's given to me, then my response is going to be forgiving other people. See how that works. If I'm grateful to God for the mercy that he's given to me, then my response of goodness is going to be being merciful to other people. If I'm grateful to God for the grace that he has lavished upon me, then my response to God is going to be to be gracious to other people. If I'm grateful to God for the generous blessings he has poured out on me, then my response is going to be generosity for other people. This isn't rocket science. Right? Whatever it is that we come before God and say, God, I am so thankful that you have fill in the blank, right? What he's provided for us. My sacrifice of praise, my response of thanksgiving is to echo that goodness, the lives of others. That we do this then as our offering to God. The sacrifice of praise offered to God takes shape in doing good, which echoes the good that God has done for us. Maybe that feels like a lot. You know, I I came to church on Easter Sunday, and, and I wanted to hear this message of, we are now secure and saved in Jesus, and I'm just waiting for that day when it reaches its fulfillment. And instead, you're giving me this list of, now I have to do this continual sacrifice of praise, that this has to be what I need to do from here forward. Well, let's bring it back to resurrection. What resurrection means for that. Because it's not this task list of things that we walk out of here now and say, now this all, all these things I have to do. It, it's not seen like that. This ties to resurrection and what the resurrection means for us right now. You see what it says there in verse 20 of Hebrews 13, that resurrection has equipped us, equipped us with everything good for doing his will. That because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus has power over the grave, that he equips us to do his will. It's not that we have to figure out how to give this sacrifice of praise and live like this all on our own. God has given us the gifts that we need to be equipped to do that because he is risen. We have everything we need from God to do that because he is risen. And maybe you think, well... I don't know if I feel fully equipped with everything I need. I I don't know that I necessarily feel like I have everything from God to do his will. But he declares in his word here that that's what he's done. So we can live like people who are fully equipped with everything we need to be the church that God has called us to be, to do his will. We can live like that. Believe it. And live like it. 
when we see God's will before us revealed in his word. Embrace that. Live like that. Let me note just a couple things about this that help make a little sense out of that, all right? About how resurrection plays into this. Do you notice that resurrection leans forward? Leans forward in the sense of it's new life, it's new beginning, it's looking to what's next. Resurrection does not look backwards. It leans forward. Resurrection does not turn around and look behind us at what's behind. It leans forward into the new being that is brought to life. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the grave was behind him, never going back again that Jesus comes back to new resurrection life. Resurrection leans forward. It does not bring our attention to what's behind. It does not call us to go back to something that once was. Resurrection focuses our attention on what is becoming, on what is new, on what God is becoming within us, his people. And he has equipped us to do that. Resurrection leans forward. Our goal is not to go back to something that once was. Our goal is to go forward to where God is leading with new life. That's what resurrection points to. Here's the other thing I'm going to point out in that. That it has to do with all of us. That we are equipped by God all together as God's church. When you read about that in verses 20 and 21 of Hebrews 13, that you are equipped with everything you need, that you is not singular, it's plural. It's like the Texas all y'all. Or if you're from the south side of Chicago, it's yous guys. It's the you that means everybody. All of us together. That we are equipped by God. Sometimes we need to catch ourselves in that because we live in a culture that's very individualistic, don't we? Maybe we read that passage and we think, oh, I've been equipped by God with everything I need. No, you haven't. It's not an I thing. It's an us thing. We have been equipped by God with everything we need. So maybe you walk away from that and you think, I don't feel like I'm equipped with everything. You're right. You're not. We are. It means that whatever it is that you lack, whatever you lack in your life to fully complete the will of God, somebody here makes up for that in what they offer to give alongside of you. And don't miss this part. You have something that everybody else needs. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you do. Even if you don't feel like that, maybe you, even if you don't acknowledge it, maybe you feel like, I've been away from church for such a long time, I don't know that I could be in a community like that again. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you have been equipped. You have something given to you by God to do his will. And we need it. Whatever it is that God has given you and equipped for you to give and bring for his people. We need what you have just as much as you need what we have. 
being equipped by God to do his will is something we do together in community. It takes all of us. That God did not just call and save individuals. God called and saved a people, a community, and has placed us within that. Resurrection reminds us of that, that we are a people called together by God, equipped to do his will. And the only way we can do that is together with each other. So we give our sacrifice of praise. We offer our sacrifice of praise to God because of the resurrection he has given to us. That we have everything we need to live right now as the people that God has called us and redeemed us to be. We do that together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message you give us in your word that we are your people and that you have equipped us with everything we need to be people who live for you and follow you. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we have slighted that and and maybe denied that you have given us what we need. We're sorry for the times when we've maybe thought of that individually or hoarded that to ourselves or, or pulled back from offering what it is that we have to the greater gift of the group. Lord, may we see the way it is that your resurrection impacts our life today in ways that prompt us to give a sacrifice of praise, an offering of thanksgiving that exalts you above all as the one who equips us from this day forevermore to live for you and only you. Amen.